Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. All right, all right, all right. I'm excited. Welcome to Wednesday night, Bible class. We're going to be going through Luke 14 tonight. We are going through just so that uh, for those of you who maybe this is your first time, this is Destiny. My name is Destiny, and um, my husband, Philip, is out of town. He's actually in Dallas, and I have five children at home, so I just would like prayer for that. Um, Also, in the middle of that, I am potty training my three-year-old son, and it is not going well. So I just need you to know it is not going well, but I'm going to be okay. All right. Um, He he actually is doing pretty good sort of in, in, I mean, I guess. Um, The person who taught me about it said, he's going to be fine. He won't be 18. And I'm like, I realize that, but he can't be like two weeks from now. He has to go to preschool and he has to be potty trained. So we're going to need it to be not before he's 18. But um, Philip and I are the lead pastors here at North Point Community Church. And at North point, we have a mission, don't we? And that mission is creating Christ-centered, culture-changing community. And if we're going to create a Christ-centered community, then we have to know what the Bible says. We have to be Bible literate, which means that we have an understanding of the big picture of the Bible. We have a big understanding of the story of the Bible and how it fits into our life, what kind of book it is. But we also have to consistently go back to the Bible to inform the way we live our life. And so what we're doing right now is we're going through a series of things um, called the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual disciplines. And so we're going to be talking about one of the spiritual disciplines tonight. But before we start, can we just pray. All right. Who has a prayer request in here? How many of you have a need that you came with? Just raise your hand. I'm not going to call on you. Somebody's like, I went, I saw this movie. They, they put them. No. All right. Just, just for a moment, just keep your hand up and let's just pray. God, you see the hands of the people who are sitting here. You know their needs. You know their names. You know their histories. You know them better than they know themselves. And Father, I just pray that you would meet them exactly where they are. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here in a real and in a powerful way, that you can do anything. And Father, I pray that you would open hearts. God, I pray that you would heal bodies. God, I pray that you would intervene in situations and in relationships. Father, I pray that you would meet every single need that is in this place according to your riches and according to your glory. Lord, we trust you. We trust you. And we believe that as we trust you and we rely on your power, that we will overflow with joy, peace, and confident hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay. I'm so excited. I'm going to be talking about my favorite subject, period. But before we get there, let's just remind ourselves of how we got here. Okay. So the Bible tells us that we are supposed to make disciples. But in order to make disciples, you have to be a disciple, right? And so if we're going to be a disciple, if we're going to become, if we're going to have our mind renewed, right? So if we're going to change our life by changing the way we think, if we're going to become a new creature, if we're going to live a different life, if we're going to live the abundant life, then a lot of stuff has to change. And sometimes um, we, we have this mentality of what would Jesus do? And that's all nice and good, but one author said it's a little bit like giving a, uh, a kid who's never played baseball before a bunch of um, videos of one of the best baseball players in the world and then sending them out into a baseball game and saying, hey, when you stand up at the plate, hit the ball the way that A-Rod would. And we would think to ourselves, that's dumb. Because that's not the way that you become an athlete. That's not the way that you become a musician. You, you don't just sit down and say, okay, play the piano the way that Mozart would. Just because you've seen a master do it, just because you've even studied the way that a master did it, doesn't mean that you can do it 
too. And instead, discipleship, just like anything else, is going to require us to enter a kind of life and be around certain people so that we can transform and learn how to live a whole life as a Christ follower. It's not just about doing the right thing in the moment of crisis. It's not just about choosing the right choice when when we're directed towards a path. It's about completely transforming and becoming the kind of person who would turn the other cheek. The kind of person who would go the extra mile. The kind of, do you see what I'm saying? So we have to become the kind of person. So in order to do that, just like if we wanted to become the kind of person who could play, you know, an incredible uh, concerto perfectly, right? You have to become the kind of person who can do that. And that's going to take hours and hours and a lifestyle of study. It's going to take a relationship. Well, how much more so when we're talking about transforming every aspect of our life? And so we look at Jesus' life, and we look at the way that he lived his life, not just what he did and what he tells us to do, but the way he lived his life. And so that's what we've been talking about with these spiritual disciplines, things like prayer. Jesus lived his life praying. Things like solitude. Last week, Pastor Alex talked on solitude, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, you need to get the podcast. It was incredible. Devotions and solitude. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. And you just go, okay, I don't have to be isolated. I can lean into the discipline of solitude. We've talked about other things. There's things like fasting. There's things like, you know, meditating on God's word. And tonight, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite spiritual disciplines, hospitality. Hospitality. There is, in my opinion, no spiritual discipline that will force you to transform quicker than a life of hospitality. Than a life of hospitality. Um, You know, uh, hospitality has this kind of picture that's associated with it that, uh, that people are like, well, I'm just not really that kind of person, right? Like, I'm not a party person. Oh, I don't really throw events. Oh, I'm just not, right? So we, it's almost like we feel like we can separate ourselves out of hospitality. But hospitality is a mandate of Scripture. It's something that's required of us, that we live our way in a hospitable way, but also that we provide hospitality. And so Luke 14, which we're going to dive in and we're going to read it, is this beautiful picture of Jesus kind of critiquing a seemingly hospitable moment in the middle of the moment and teaching us that even if we are those kinds of people, we still have to do our thing his way. Because if we wanted to drill down what discipleship really looks like, discipleship looks like stopping saying, well, we've got my thing and we've got that Jesus. Jesus thing and everything becomes his thing. And we start doing our thing, right? The thing that used to be our thing, his way. And it's the same way with the way we live our life. And there's all kinds of like excuses not to be hospitable, right? How about like my house is just always dirty? I got five kids. Like my, literally my house is always dirty, (laughs) right? You know, there's so many different things and excuses and reasons we can use for not being hospitable. How about I'm just really, really, really busy, right? I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy in this season. The thing is, is that the enemy will try to create every excuse possible to keep you from entering in to a lifestyle of hospitality because I really believe he knows that it'll transform your life if you'll do it. So let's just dive into Luke 14, and then we're going to have some fun with silverware. It's going to be fun. All right, you ready? I'm excited. All right, so Luke 14, starting in verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. 
And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal him on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and he healed him and he sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Okay. Have you noticed that in the New Testament, Jesus is always at dinner, leaving dinner on his way to dinner? That is my kind of human being. Anybody, when you finish lunch, you're thinking about dinner. Anybody? Do do you feel that way? Okay. Anybody finish dinner and you're planning tomorrow's dinner? I mean, it's just, that's just, that's the way I roll. I love food. I love dinner. I grew up, um, my first six years of life, um, my father was an evangelist, and he did like 300 dates a year, okay, like 300 speaking engagements a year. That's a lot of speaking engagements. And he took me with him 90% of the time, my mother and I with him 90% of the time, maybe even 95% of the time. So I thought it was normal to just live in hotels, right? And back then, there wasn't this mentality that, like, you couldn't keep kids up and, like, they needed to be on a schedule. That's, that's new. Um, at least it's new for my family because we, they just, I mean, I was up at 2 or 3 in the morning every night at the, you know, I would look around. I got to where I can remember being a little bitty girl, and I would walk into the restaurant with my parents looking for the booth because I was like, if we sit near a booth, when it gets really, you know, when I get tired, they'll let me sleep in the booth, you know? But I, I grew up around tables hearing people talk about Jesus and hearing people talk about church and hearing people talk. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, that, that's how I grew up. I grew up in this incredibly, like, dinner-oriented life. And I love reading about Jesus because that's very much his life. He's going from party to party. He's going from dinner to dinner. He's going from moment to moment. Because if you think about it, there isn't any social media. There isn't any way to communicate other than face-to-face or in some kind of writing, which is going to be really expensive. And so every communication has got to be some right? And you're in a culture that doesn't have um, the same level of food preservation that we do. So people are spending a large percentage of their day figuring out food for themselves, but also for those who will sit around their table. And so this is the center of life in Jesus's world. And we see Jesus going to the Pharisee's house, Now, the Pharisees, for those of us who are kind of keeping score, they are part of the religious hierarchy of the day. And there's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees get a bad rap because they show up in so many of Jesus' stories. But the thing that you have to know about the Pharisees is at least they were willing to engage Jesus. Most of the Sadducees were out. They didn't want anything to do with him. But at least the Pharisees kept on, like, inviting him to dinner. They kept on challenging him. They kept on, even if, it, even if it was aggressive, they still were involved in the conversation. And Jesus keeps on accepting their invitations. Now, I don't know about you, but about the second time somebody tried to trap me in my words, they would be off of my dinner list. When they called to see if they could get an appointment with me, I would say no. But Jesus isn't like that because he lived a life of hospitality. Do you hear me? He lived a life of hospitality. And so he shows up at this dinner, and they are watching him carefully. They're watching him carefully. This is one thing that I have learned is that it is very hard to judge Jesus and serve Jesus. If you're constantly judging him, it's going to be very hard to serve him. And if true hospitality comes out of a desire to please him, right? If we are pleasing him by serving others, If I'm just sitting in judgment of him, kind of wondering, okay, well, I don't know. I don't know if you're good enough. I don't know if you, if you really are. I mean, I'm just, I'm going to judge it one more time, right? It's going to be very hard for me to serve him. So they're sitting in judgment 
you know, they're watching him closely because they have, this whole dinner is a setup. Has anybody ever been set up at a dinner? Like on a date and you didn't know it? That happened to me once, a long, long time ago, um, before um, Philip and I got together. Um, We were broken up because we dated for all eternity. And I show up at this thing with my grandmother, and she has someone there for me to meet. Anybody ever been in that awkward situation? You know what I'm talking about? You just walk in, and you're like, nobody else here is single. Nobody else here is my age. This is a problem, right? And it's just awkward. Okay, it's not even that kind of stuff. It's a totally different setup. You, you, have this, you have this person who has dropsy. You have this person who is dealing with this illness. You have this person who is hurting, who they have planted at the table, not to be healed, not to be cared for, but to see if Jesus will live up to their rules and their expectations. Because it's the Sabbath, and they don't want, okay, they don't want Jesus to heal people on the Sabbath because it goes against their rules. So the person at the table isn't nearly as important as their standards. Do you see? There's a, there's a human being. Sometimes we can miss the reality of the scriptures because it's like there's a human being. Imagine this, okay? Jesus is sitting at a table with the Pharisees, and there is a human being who is hurting, who has dropsy, who has a, a disability, and they are the bait in a trap. But what I love is that Jesus doesn't just spring the trap, he diffuses it. Because he says, you know, I'm sitting at this table. Which one of you wouldn't rescue your son or your cow on the Sabbath? In other words, you don't even play by your own rules. You don't even play by your own rules. When it's your own kid, when it's your own stuff, you're fine with writing into the fine print that you can rescue them on the Sabbath. But when it's my kid, because all of us are his, when it's my kid, you want to put up barriers and say, no, they shouldn't get healed. They should get healed on another day. They should suffer with their disability one more day. Do you see how ridiculous this is? This is, now let's just take it further. This is what's so weird. This is a seemingly hospitable moment. But these people have invited this guy to the table to prove a point. And Jesus says, people are never a point to be proved. People are people and they are the point, right? And if we want to have a true discipline of hospitality, then we can't have people as just, oh, I'm going to prove a point, right? Sometimes we can be like that, man, right? And be like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go evangelize them. How about like talk to them, get to know them, know their kids' names, right? Do you see what I'm saying? How about care, care about them as a human being? How about Think about their dignity. And that's what hospitality does. Because Jesus is showing us what true hospitality does. True hospitality sees who's at the table. It sees who's at the table. I love to throw parties. Um, It's one of my favorite things to do. I've done it my whole life, and I watched my mother do it. We lived in a matchbox house, but she would have 200 people over. They'd just be spilling out on the yard. You know, we didn't even have, like, lights in the yard. There'd just be kids, like, running and hitting trees. It was great. It was a wonderful way to grow up. And so I watched her do that. But one of the first things that she taught us to do was to set a table. Anybody ever, right, it's a big deal, right? Um, and, and it's kind of a lost art. And so she would be upset right now because I don't have any um, placemats because she was very big on placemats. But we're, we're just going to kind of set a table because this is the thing about setting a table. 
is that you have to remember who is at the table if you're going to set the table. You have to remember who's going to, you know, are there going to be kids there? How many people are going to be there? Right? All those things. And so you kind of, you have to think about who's going to be at the table. You have to think about what you're serving. You have to go, okay, well, we're having fish, so we've got to have forks. And, okay, well, we're having vegetables, so we've got to have whatever you eat with vegetables. And I'm just kidding. I love vegetables. You know, you have to think about the environment you're trying to create. I personally don't know how you host anyone without a hot drink. So you have a hot drink with your with your table. Somebody said these were wine glasses. Um, I, I really this is what we drank water in growing up because my mom was fancy. So you got your, you got your, your drinks and you're thinking about who's going to be at the table and you're, you're putting effort and planning into thinking about the people who are around you. And we understand that when we're setting a table here, but what about just in our daily lives? It would be so dumb if I was inviting all of you to my house and I just set a table for four people. How would you feel if you walked in my house? Right? How would, you, how would you feel? You wouldn't feel cared for. You wouldn't feel seen. But what about people in our daily lives? When they enter our presence, do they feel cared for? And do they feel seen? You know, one of the first things that I learned about hospitality is that it's really hard to host a party if you just stay in the kitchen. If you don't set a table for a place for yourself at the table, some of us go through lives, our lives, and we're caring for everybody else, but we never actually are truly hospitable because we don't sit down at the table. One of the things I love about Jesus is he constantly was encouraging people to sit at the table. I think that's a lot of what was going on with Mary and Martha. Anybody remember that story? If you don't, let me tell it to you. It's one of my favorite stories. So Martha's house was like the hangout house for Jesus and all his people. Like Lazarus, her brother, is inviting everybody all the time, and Jesus always brought a crowd. And so Martha is constantly busy preparing food for all these people. It's like, you know. Who knows who's going to show up? Jesus has always got 12, but maybe there's 72. I don't know. There's just people. And so one day, Jesus is having a party and holding court at her house. And she's in there, like, chopping vegetables and whipping up hummus and, like, doing all the things that she does. And she gets ticked because she's like, nobody's helping me in the kitchen. And so she goes out, and this is my favorite part, because she doesn't even say, hey, Mary, Mary, can you come and help me for a second? She's like, Jesus, tell Mary. You're talk about passive aggressive, right? Or is that aggressive aggressive? I don't know. She's like, Jesus, tell Mary to come help me, because I'm all alone in the kitchen. And I love what Jesus says, and it used to irritate me, and I'll explain why in just a second. But Jesus says, I'm, Mary has chosen the better thing, and I'm not going to take it away from her. And, and I've always seen that as just being about being with Jesus. And I think it is. The scriptures can be read on many different levels. I think it is sitting at Jesus' feet. I think it is listening to him. I think it is being with him. But I also think that Martha was underestimating where hospitality was coming from. Because Martha was back in the kitchen making sure everything was perfect. But Mary was sitting at the table with the people. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say that it used to really irritate me because I am a Martha. I'm the one who's chopping the vegetables. I'm the one getting everything ready. And I was like, God, is there, is there not, like, a place for me? But I, I don't think that that's really what it is. I think it's, I think, I think that it's the heart of the matter, right? She was ticked in the kitchen. But hospitality requires us to have a heart that's for people. So if you're called into a kitchen moment where you feel like all you're doing is just prepping for others, to still have a heart for people in that moment. And if you're in a table moment 
to not be distracted by what's undone in the kitchen. Whatever moment you are in, to stay in that moment and to stay focused on Jesus and to stay focused on people. Because remember, people are not a problem. People are the point. My little girl, um, I'm teaching Carolina and Juju how to be hospitable um, by teaching them how to clean a kitchen because that's the first step to learning how to be really hospitable. I don't know if you know that, but it's true. You need to learn how to clean up and really get everything ready. And so we call it a reset. We don't call it cleaning. In our house, it is not cleaning. It is resetting because we want that mentality, right? We're just kind of getting it ready to be used again. But it's hard for kids to understand that concept when they first start to clean because what they feel when somebody uses the kitchen after they clean it is what? You have ruined my work, right? But how often do we feel that way too? Not just about kitchens. And remember, this is about our mentality. Our life. It's like you have come in and you have messed up my schedule. You have come in and you have messed up. Do you see what I'm saying? Hospitality is messy business. It's messy. It is inconvenient. If you are waiting for a convenient time, to be hospitable in your life, let me save you the time. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen because hospitality is inconvenient. And in Luke 14, we see that. Luke 14, we see these people, right, have gone out of their way to throw this party and to trap Jesus, and they don't care about the person who's actually sitting at the table, but we find out later on what they actually do care about. They are caring about themselves. Verse 7, he says, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He's literally in real time telling them, think about this. He's sitting at a party. Sometimes we can, like, miss how awkward this is. He's sitting at a party watching them choose seats, and You know how like when you're teaching your kids something and you tell them a parable or a story about what they're doing wrong? Anybody ever do that? You know what I'm saying? Like you tell them a story, you're like, you see them fighting and you're like, there were two bunnies and they were fighting over some, right? Jesus is doing this to adults. They're sitting at, I mean, because your kids know, like after they're eight, they're like, mom, is that me and Juju? Yes, it is. Did you get the message, right? Jesus is doing this to real life adults at a table. He's saying, hey, when you're invited to a wedding feast, nothing like this current moment that we're together at, right? Don't choose seats the way that you're choosing them. Because this is the thing. It's important for you to set your own table. And if you don't host yourself through life, that's not a good thing. You need to host yourself through life. You need to host yourself when it comes to church, whether it's this church or it's another church. You need to host yourself when it comes to certain. You need to host yourself. But you need to host yourself with a mentality of hospitality that cares about other people. It's other people focused. But if you enter into hosting yourself and you're just trying to get the best seat at the table, you've missed the point. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, Listen, I'm all about sitting down and being hospitable, but it should be from a place of humility 
where I create a seat at the table for myself so that I can serve everybody around me. Not so that everybody can think I'm the most important person at the table. Does that make sense? So he's doing this, and he, and he explains that. And then he turns to his host. And I can imagine that the host is kind of at this point like, yeah, I've watched y'all all do that. Like, but then he turns to his host. And he's like, yeah, and, um, you know, if you're giving a dinner or a banquet, once again, nothing like what we're all experiencing here. Don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Think about it. See, hospitality is in every culture around the world. It's one of the things that is part of our human existence. Everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go. In any culture, there, is, there are rituals around food and rituals around hospitality. But what makes Christian hospitality different is that we are offering hospitality to others on behalf of God, not trying to get social standing, not because of how our neighbors will see us, not because we're trying to meet some other thing, but we're literally doing it on behalf of God. That's why as a church, we like the, the perspective of being the inn at the crossroads of life. If, it, if, you've, if you've been around here very much, maybe you've heard us or, or you've seen like the shirts that say the inn and you're like, what's the inn? The church is not called the inn. I get that, but that's how we see ourselves. Because there's a story of the Good Samaritan, right? And, and, and the story of the Good Samaritan ends with the Good Samaritan taking a battered and bruised man who is Jewish, Jews and Samaritans did not get along, to an inn. And he leaves them at the inn. And he tells the innkeeper, here's some money, take care of him. If it costs more than that, I will pay you everything that is owed when I come back. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like what we're mandated to do as church and as Christians. Because Jesus went to heaven and he said, I'm going to come again. And he said, when I come, I will reward everyone. In other words, I'll pay you. Don't look around for everybody else to give you what you need. Instead, realize that I'm your source, I'm your boss, and I will give you everything that you need, right? The world owes me nothing. Jesus gave me everything. That's what we believe. We believe that Jesus has given us everything, but that he also will repay So we talk about that we're the inn at the crossroads of life, and the reason is is because inns were set in that time period in really dangerous places. They were set in cities, but they were also set like at crossroads because traveling was dangerous, just like the story of the Good Samaritan says. This man's set upon by bandits. But they were set in dangerous places, and they were places of refuge. They were places where you could find care. They were places of hospitality. But for a moment, I just want us to understand that when we stand as the end with our doors wide open in our own lives, right? Because we are the end together and, and, and separately. When we, we are not looking for someone to give us anything in return. We are working for the owner of the end. And he's asked us, to offer hospitality to the world. And so so we don't get our identity from the way that people respond to our offer. We don't get, right? We don't, that's not where we're getting it from. Instead, when we invite people, we don't have to think about, well, who's my friend and who's, you know, my neighbor and are they going to invite me back and is this going to increase my social standing? We don't even have to do that song and dance. 
Instead, we can look to our neighbors. We can look to the people in our lives. We can look to the most broken, and we can invite them all in, understanding that that is who God's asked us to reach out to. Does that make sense? This discipline of hospitality changes our life because it changes the way that we see others. It changes the way that we see our table because it's not just about it being pretty, it's about it being used. It's not just about our lives looking good, it's about being okay with it being messy. I love having people to my house. Um, My house is never perfect when they come. Never perfect when they come. There's always a moment right before everybody gets there, and I'm like, oh, gosh, there's a cobweb up there. Oh, and and literally a very large spider. And have I ever dusted? I don't know if I've ever dusted. And Jacob, did you just, okay. Coda, did you, okay. And, And they walk into our house, and no one has ever cared. No one's ever cared. No, no one's ever cared that we don't have enough seating. No one's ever cared that, that my carpet is so old that it literally could qualify, like, to be, you know, an antique. No one cares. No one cares that my bookshelves aren't decorated the way that they would be in Pinterest. You know, something else that's really funny, I love to cook, so I cook gumbo usually when people come over, or I cook pulled pork or whatever, but I've just had pizza, and and no one cares. Because we can get so caught up going, I got to have it be fancy, and I've got to have it be perfect. When people walk in, you know, I want it all to be nice. You could take this plastic. Dollar Tree, that's where we got it from. Come on. And you can fill it with Cheetos. And you got a party. Because it's not about perfection. It's about hospitality. It's about inviting people to the table and caring about them. Caring about them, looking in their eyes. Caring about them, remembering something about them, connecting them to each other. You want to know my favorite thing about living a life of hospitality is I am always on the outlook for someone's new best friend. Honestly, like I, if I have met you and I know five things about you, I am on the outlook for your new best friend. And if we're at a party, I'm going to find somebody who has something in common with you. Because that's what Jesus does for us, is creates community. And and community is about connecting people. Community is, it can be about stupid things. It it can be about stuff that you were wrong about. Anybody ever just get somebody's entire life story wrong? This girl has. Clarissa corrects me on a, like, daily basis. No, that is not what happened. And I'm like, well, that is what I told everyone. <laughs> Can that be the story now? No. Okay, fine. No one cares. No one cares if you get it wrong sometimes. Just, just putting your heart out there. Why don't, you know, there, there's, the, there's, the, there's the prideful side of why we invite the people who are known to us. But there also is just the fearful side. What, what if I've never been around somebody who fill in the blank, right? I don't know what to say. You find out really quick what's in your heart if you start looking at the types of people that end up around your table. Can we just be real? Do they all look alike? Do they all come from the same background? Do they all co- Do you see what I'm saying? One of the best ways that, that we can truly transform into who God's called us to be is to invite people to our table 
that we're not quite sure how to, how do I connect with you? I tell you one of my issues. When I was in high school, and this is a million years ago, so this is not like a painful statement. I'm just telling you. Cute girls were super mean to me, okay? I was not bullied. But they were mean to me. Does that, does, okay? Like, I didn't fit with them. I wasn't, like, I wasn't cool with them. It didn't work with them. I didn't speak the language, you know? And, and they just, the girls that were mean to me had something in common, and they were all really put together and cute. So I developed an aversion to cute people. I'm just going to be real. And I had to face that. Because I was kind of like, I, I would, you know, I'm like, oh, gosh, they're together. They match, you know. Like, they got their hair all fixed. And uh, I don't know. I just, I, I don't think we're going to click. And I was super fine hosting all the exchange students in the world. I was super fine hosting, okay? Do you see what I'm saying? But when it came to the people who looked like the people who hurt me, I had a hard time with that. And somewhere in my 20s, God dealt with me on that. And some of my very best friends today are cute girls. And I still can't decorate a room. And I still don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I still am just praying that Star Trek becomes a reality so we can all wear uniforms and I have to stop picking out clothes. Like, I still am not there. We still don't connect on that. But you know what? I have a lot in common with a lot of them. Because I stopped seeing them as a stereotype. I stopped seeing them as the type of person who hurt me. I stopped feeling like choosing to believe that they were judging me. Because this is the thing. How you see yourself has a lot more to do with how you think others see you than you realize. But when I realize I'm, I'm an innkeeper first, man, that changes everything. Because, see, I've got a boss. And I'm not looking for my identity to be affirmed. I'm not looking for somebody to approve of me in the way I dress, in the way I am. I'm not looking for that from anybody else. I'm getting that from a different source. And then I really can sit at the table and not be so worried about what you think of me and be so much more concerned about serving you about seeing you where you are, about caring about your needs. I can hear you say things that hurt my feelings and hear your heart. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Because I'm not looking for you to, I, I'm secure, I'm okay. Not I'm secure, I don't need you, I mean, I, I really, I really, I'm okay. Does, do you see the difference? The world wants you to be okay like this. I'm okay. J Jesus says you really can be vulnerable and you can be open and you can, and still be okay. You can let people in and they can judge you and you can still be okay. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? Hospitality, it changes everything. When we start going through life setting tables for people, when we start walking into our job looking at people, not rivals, when we start walking into our school seeing people, not problems, when we walk into the grocery store and we're hosting everything and everybody, 
Now, there's all kinds of different disciplines and ways that you can incorporate this. There, there's three that are really key to me, um, and, and they're all biblical, but I'll just kind of go through them really quickly. Um, the very first one is this, is, uh, is a, a great greeting, a holy greeting. Our greetings should be important to us. The Bible says, greet your brother with a holy kiss. That's not in our culture. But what it was talking about was it was talking about greet other people with the appropriate greeting, right? In the world of smartphones, I feel like greetings have died. It is countercultural to be aware of when people enter a room and just offer a greeting. Sometimes for fun, I decide that I'm going to host the reception area where I am waiting for either the doctor or for the dentist or for wherever because I think it's fun because it freaks people out, and that's kind of just a little amusing. And so when people walk in, I'll go, hey, glad to see you here. And they're like, who is that? I just think somebody should acknowledge that you've, I don't say all, but do you see what I'm saying? But what about in our homes, right? How does it change the atmosphere where when nobody walks in our house without us truly greeting them well? There is nothing that we are doing that is so important that we cannot stop and welcome someone into our space whether that's our office or whether that's our house, right? That's something that I try to teach my kids. In fact, it's the very first obedience metric for me. We walk out of the bedroom with Jacob. This happened three times this week. I know that it's Wednesday. It's happened three times this week. That means every day for those of you who aren't counting. We walk out of the bedroom with Jacob. Jacob, say good morning. No. We're going to go back. Jacob, you will say good morning. No. Yes, you will. We go back and forth. Say good morning, Jacob. It may take us three times, but we're not moving on till he says good morning. Why? Yes, it's an obedience moment, and I try to create those. But the second thing is this. That's important in my house. We're not doing that. We're not going to be people who you're having a bad day, and you're not going to say good morning. Absolutely not. Under no circumstances ever is that acceptable. Why? Because I'm training my kids to be hospitable. And I don't know about you, but it is a really terrible end. If you can walk into a hotel and nobody greets you, that is a bad hotel. And I'm not just training children. I'm training innkeepers. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's that greeting. What's your greeting look like? Do people feel loved when they walk in your presence? It doesn't take that much energy to let your eyes sparkle. And when you see somebody go, hey, I'm so glad you're here, right? But it means so much to them. What's crazy is if you start doing that, you will notice the energy ping-pongs back, doesn't it? When you shake yourself, my mother used to say, baby, you got to shake yourself. You got to shake yourself. And I would shake myself. What am I going to do now? <laughs> you know? But what she meant was you've got to create the energy inside of you so that you can host the people around you because that's what you were put on earth to do. And, and hospitality starts, do you see how that spiritual discipline starts to change you? Because you're not going to feel like greeting everyone every day. But when you decide that we greet people, it creates that discipline over your emotions. That's what I'm trying to train my kids, is that it doesn't matter how you wake up. You can still do the right thing. Well, you know what? That's going to translate into it doesn't matter how you feel about that person. You can still treat them correctly. It doesn't matter how you feel about that rule. You can still follow it. It's that basic thing in our life where we over and over and over again tell our emotions who's boss, right? So it's that, that first part of hospitality that we can just live out every day. It's that holy greeting. Then there's listening attentively. Listening attentively. 
um, I just encourage you to try to practice listening attentively. I was talking to my friend back in the back, and we were talking about how when you really listen to people, you get to hear things that, um, you, you know, they, they don't even know they need to communicate. And then you're able to really help them. Then you're able to really walk them through what's going on in their life. But so many times we live with divided attention, especially now. Smartphones and this and that, and we're we're trying to do all the different things. But hospitality requires us to stop and to truly listen attentively. Now, I understand that there's moments we can't. But it's about constantly resetting back to that, right? It's resetting back to that. It's choose. I can remember I watched um, Lisa Bevere, who's a author. For those of you who don't know, she's an amazing Christian speaker and author. And I watched her after a meeting where I was. um, We were hosting her actually, and I watched her after a meeting. And um, she's she prayed for person after person, but she would lock eyes with each person. Now she's already spoken for 45 minutes, okay? She's tired. But she would lock eyes with each person, probably 30 people in a line. She would lock eyes with each person. She would listen attentively to whatever they needed to say. She would listen attentively. Listening attentively is part of hosting your environment because it'll tell you what the people around you really need from you. It doesn't have to be listening as a marathon, but listening attentively. Can I give you just a little, uh, most of you or many of you are, are, are in some form of ministry or another, and what I mean by that is you serve on a team or you you know, one thing that you can do if you only have a short period of time with somebody is that you can listen attentively and then you can offer to pray for them. That is not a conversation ender. That is getting to the most important part of the conversation. So sometimes if I only have three minutes, I'll say, hey, listen, I am hearing what you're saying. I think we should take this to God right now. And I'm able to pray for that person with intentionality, give them the very best thing I can do, which is to connect them to God. But it also is a way of honoring that three or four minutes that we have together. Because I can't give everybody three or four hours. But I can give an intensely focused 90 seconds. I can give an intensely focused three minutes. It matters. Have you ever noticed? My mother does this, so I do this. And I talk about her a lot, but she's the most hospitable person I've ever seen. I've seen women's lives literally transform sitting on their floor just watching her parent. Sitting in her kitchen watching her make French toast because the way that she disciples people and the way that she taught me to disciple people is just come and sit with me. And if you'll sit with me and you'll live with me and you'll be with me, then I can teach you how to follow Jesus better. It, it's, it's discipleship by hospitality because hospitality doesn't just disciple you. It also is the way in which we disciple others. Because if I get you around my table, things are going to change, not just for me, but for you, Right? She, she taught me, she taught me even when you're in a restaurant that you can give somebody 20 seconds, just the, the, the server, and it could change their whole day. When you just really look at somebody who's been working all day in an industry where they have absolutely many times been verbally abused, right, not thanked, all kinds of different things, and you just look at them and you treat them like a human being for 20 seconds, that can change their entire day. Well, Destiny, we're supposed to be talking about spiritual disciplines. That is, I can't think of anything more spiritual than living that way. We are not people who ever treat people like they aren't people. Does that make sense? And yet we come up with all kinds of excuses. We are not people who ever go off on people who are trying to serve us. Why? Because we're trying to sow good seeds. I told you I grew up in hotels. I grew up at restaurants. And I watched my parents over and over again give grace to people in the service industry. And one day I asked my dad about it because there was this one time it was just awful. You know what I'm saying? Like hot soup had been poured on one of us. And like there was just, it was just a bad, you know, like it was a bad night. 
And he said, baby, he said, every time something happens, I think about one of you guys. And I try to treat every person that I ever come in contact with as though it was you. He said, I want to sow so many good seeds of grace that you and I reap them for the rest of our life. What's he talking about? He's talking about hospitality. Because let's go back to Luke 14. What kind of seeds were those people sowing by having a disabled man come to the table as an object lesson? That's not a good seed. What kind of seeds are we sowing? Are we living lives of hospitality where we're, we're setting our own table? And we aren't expecting other people to set our place for us. We're, setting, we're hosting ourselves. I am hosting myself. Are we thinking about others when, when we set their table? Are we, are we walking in an environment seeing people? And then are we sowing good seeds? Understanding it's not about reaping from them, but it's about reaping from God. Hospitality will change your life. I could talk about this forever. And, and the third part of the third point of a life of hospitality is an intentional goodbye. An intentional goodbye. Um, we, we have help at the house. We have um, people who will babysit and do different things like that because I have a million children. And so, you know, I've through the years, God has sent me people who, in a season, um, either lived at my house or they were coming in and out or whatever. And, and it has seemed like God always was much more interested in what they needed than what I needed in that season. You know what I mean? Like they weren't. I was like, but they don't list me. Okay, fine. But God taught me very early that my house that it wasn't about me. Does that make sense? My parents have been married for 42 years, I think, in August. And um, they've had 31 people live with them during that time period who weren't in our family. 31 people, that's a lot of people. And they only count the people who stayed more than a month. One of the things that I teach my kids is that when somebody leaves, they get up and they walk them to the door. And it's not just when we have parties, but it's also just when the babysitter's leaving. And they walk them to the door and they open the door and they say, thank you for a great day. Or if it's a guest, they're supposed to say, thank you for coming, please come again. And, and we practice it over and over and over and over again because that's part of hospitality. Because you don't know what people are walking into when they walk out your door. You don't know what people are walking into when they walk away from your presence. You don't know what people are walking into when they walk out of your office or they even just, do you see what I'm saying? You don't know. And if I have a chance in that last moment to impart a little bit of courage, to impart a little bit of dignity, to impart a little bit of love or care for them, then that is my great joy. But it has to become a habit. Do you know what those three things will teach you to do? It'll teach you to really see people because that is a hard skill to learn. All of us are good at it, usually in a few environments. But the problem is, is in every environment, there's people. But if you take those three things and you start putting them into practice, and you're intentional with your greeting, and you're intentional with your listening, and you're intentional with your goodbye, it's funny how every person starts transforming into a person in your eyes. Not just a problem, not just something to be managed, but a real-life image-bearer who's not sitting at the table as an object lesson, but who's sitting at the table in need. You know, my favorite thing about that story 
is that it wasn't Jesus's party, but he was the only one who really played host. Think about it. It wasn't Jesus's party, but he was the one who played host because he was the one who saw everybody at the table. And that's what a host does. That's what an innkeeper does. And if we want to live like Jesus, if we want to become like Jesus, if we want to be the kind of person who, right, then we have to live the life that Jesus lived. And Jesus lived a life of hospitality. I can go through all over from the fact that he changed the water into wine. What a beautifully hospitable act where he saved the day. To When he invited himself to Zacchaeus' house to have a party. That is also one of my absolute favorite moments. He's just, he lives this life that is so hospitable where he sees the people around him and he notices the people when he sits at the wall woman at the well. Like he, he's setting his own space, but then he creates a space for her. I mean, it's just this beautiful life of hospitality. And I don't know about you, but I want to live that way because that's the way that I'm transformed because I get into the habit of inconveniently following Jesus in loving and caring for others. But also if you're wondering like, how do I help others? That's how you help. That's, that's how you disciple. That's how you, you pull people around the table. You invite them into your home. You invite them into your world. You, you invite them to the, re- do you see what I'm saying? We live a life of invitation. And we don't let the fact that we don't have the fancy bowl or have our life all together or the floor is not vacuumed keep us from doing it. Instead, we just start. We just start where we are. And then we keep letting hospitality change our lives over and over again. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. But it's one that that I have found will truly transform a community. It'll transform an office. It'll transform a school. It'll transform a church. And that's who you are. This is the thing. The number one thing that people tell me over and over again is that church is so friendly. Everybody's so kind. What are they really remarking on? You guys have a spirit of hospitality where you care about people. But guys, make sure you're hosting yourself too. You know what I mean? Sit at the table. See the people. Set the table for others. This is my favorite topic. I could talk about it for four and a half more hours and give you all tips on how to reach your neighbors. But I do want to encourage you, um, in these next few months, in these next whatever, I really do think God's called us to, to, to reach the people around us. And I do think that the strategy of the scriptures is still the only strategy. In Acts, it said that the believers met together with prayer, studying the word, eating together, and fellowship. That looks like hospitality to me. So let's make room for it in our busy lives, inviting people in and accepting the invitations of others. Amen? All right, let's pray, and then I'm going to release you. God, I thank you for this incredible group of world changers. Lord, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't escape me that many of them have worked all the way until they came to church tonight. I'm not unaware that, that they sacrificed their time to be here and to learn just a little bit more from your word. And so, Father, I pray that, I pray that, this, that this message that I've brought today would add value to their pursuit of you. Holy Spirit, you do so much more than what we can do. So, Lord, I pray that the words that they would remember would not just be the words that would come that came out of my mouth tonight, but they would be the words that come from your heart specific to their situation. Lord, I pray that you would bring to their memory and to their mind people in their life who are in desperate need of the transformative power of hospitality. Maybe people that they have avoided because those people hurt them or people like those people hurt them in the past. Maybe people 
maybe people who just seem like problems. Maybe people who've seemed like object lessons. Lord, I pray that they would begin to see them as your children, as loved by you, and that you would give us a heart for hospitality for every person that we encounter. Lord, let us be people who sow good seeds of grace towards others. Let us realize that we're the host in every room that we walk in. Every room we walk in, that we have the right as children of God, as innkeepers, employed by the, by the Almighty, that, that we have the right to host. Lord, make us more like you. As we embrace this spiritual discipline, use it to transform every part of us so that we can truly do what you would do in every situation. We love you, Jesus. We're so grateful for you. Lord, bless everybody in here. I pray that they would have great sleep tonight. I pray that they would have great blessings in work tomorrow. I pray that they would have incredible favor in every environment they walk in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.